Hi, this is Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asian comedians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And uh, I guess you, we sh- what? You, we did the intro a little differently that time. I did? You said Asian. Uh, well, you said hi. And then. Should I not say comedians? <laughs> Should we say actors? I don't are know. You, are you? What, what's that thing? Are you SAG? What does are, what does that what is that? Screen actors guild. Are you do you do you are you on that? No, not yet. <gasps> okay. Do you wh- what is what is that? <laughs> How do you do that? Do we need to do that? Because I wanna I wanna act for the big screen, Brian. Yeah, you do need to do that. Okay. It's a union. Should we do it together? I don't think it's by choice. You have to book something. Oh shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> like you can't just go be like No. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm here for the big time Hollywood movies. <laughs> So right you have this to way, book ma'am. something first. Yeah. And then after you book something, you use that info to get into the SAG. Yeah. This is we're we're uh, primed for the big time. These are two we are two actors asking each other what the basic job requirements <laughs> of our job is. <laughs> we're just gonna sit here in Brian's bedroom and then that's how we're gonna get the big roles. Basically. I'm not going out to audition. And I'm then just complain waiting. like, why am I not getting anything? Yeah, why, I'm just like, gonna why wait here. isn't Martin Scorsese dropping a script into my lap right I now? I feel like they're gonna come find me, Brian, if I do absolutely nothing about it, is what I, I feel. <laughs> I think that is <laughs> That's a big identity of the millennial generation. It's That's just bitching about how you're not getting things, but then not taking any action towards achi- obtaining that. Wow. You know, I guess I am a millennial. I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on the very cusp. Actually, maybe not. I think I'm like three or four years younger than the oldest millennials. Three or four years younger than the... So that I think would, it's 19... Three or four years younger than the oldest millennials would make you a millennial then. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm like I'm solidly in the millennial group. Oh, so you're like in I it. thought I was like a little too old, but I'm, I'm solidly not. in it. I'm solidly. The only in people, it. the only person that would say solidly is if they're insecure that they're not a millennial. They're not. Mo- they're like baby <laughs> boomers. They're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm solidly, solidly a millennial. I'm solidly a, mon- a millennial. <laughs> I'm a definite mo- like because I feel like millennials now some of them are in their forties, right? The oldest millennials mm, are early forties. I don't. Think I think it's so. what. Did I don't you just know. find one different. article where the range was way bigger and then that's just <laughs> your new standard? I'm so young. I'm so solidly I'm a millennial. I'm basically Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> oh young me, how are you feeling? Um, um, wait, can you start? No. Do you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, you start. Brian, how are you feeling, Brian? I'm feeling good, but I'm, I'm a little antsy. Because I'm I'm looking forward to a text. Oh, yeah. from somebody that you're uh, maybe gonna gonna date or like for something well, like that or it was a girl. So I had a I host a comedy show called Etiquette Comedy. Okay, uh, it's every third Sunday at Etiquette Space in Williamsburg, and yeah. So Hannah and I, who is my co-host, we had our first show mm-hmm. uh, last Sunday. Yeah, I saw it. It was great. Yeah, thanks for coming. That was awesome. Yep. And a girl slid into my DMs. <gasps> nice. And she said, hey, that was an amazing show. I had such a great time. I think you're really cool and I find you really cute. Ooh. Would you want to get a drink sometime? Okay. I promise I didn't teach English in Japan after college, which is a callback to a joke that I have oh. about how I match with a lot of girls who've taught English in Japan. That are white? That are white. She's white. She's white. Okay, okay. That's and funny. It was funny. And she yeah. seemed super cool. I, you know, I Instagram stalked her and I was like, oh, you know what? I like this girl's vibe. Yeah. I want to meet her. And I was right. excited to meet her. So we met a couple nights ago. It was, uh, I thought the date went really well. I mean, wow. on the date, she, she talked about how she was in, she enjoyed how it wasn't just small talk pleasantries. Yeah. And she was like, I think you're very She's like, I don't know, like you're very charismatic and you're disarming in a way where you can like have me reveal. She's like, I wasn't prepared to reveal as much as I did on this first date. Right. But it is what it was. It was great. It was a fun time. We made out and then I got her number because I didn't have her number because she slid into my Instagram DMs. numbers nowadays? Right. I'm Uh, Gen Z. I don't know what a phone (laughs) is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean this my... Oh, iPhone. I get it. Phone number. Oh my God. I I just call this my hand. talk on these (laughs) um that's awesome and And so then and then uh, i texted her the next day Mm -hmm. you know just hey 
this is Brian. Mm-hmm. Just a way to give her my number. I had a great time last night. I'm glad you slid into my DMs and we were able to meet. And that was it. And that was it. She didn't reply. She didn't reply. But she probably will, right? I don't know. Who I sent knows? it over. It's almost 24 hours. <gasps> I don't think she's going to reply. Well, you know, but you know, there's like a thing where people are trying to not. I don't know. Who knows? I've just concluded both outcomes. I don't know. Yeah. I was just excited to go like see her again. Yeah. But at this point, it is what it is. If she's not into it, then that's okay. Yeah. Her loss. Mm, I still hate myself enough where I don't, I can't, I don't feel Aww, confident saying her loss. <laughs> You have so many girls just just sliding into the DMs, you know? Yeah. Just, just sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. Like, Maybe yeah. there are. I don't know. I don't know. Let me look me. through your phone right now, and I'm going to just... You I want wanna, to? Uh, let me look through your phone. Um, let me just see. Can I just see real quick? Come on, it'll be funny. You I won't say s- it on the podcast. You want to see what? Or maybe I'll say it. Your w- DMs. My, you want to see my DMs? Yeah. Are, they t- are there too many dick pics in there? There are no dick pics okay, on here. Okay, I'm sorry. Here, you can... Okay, let me just let me Don't just Don't click. I've left someone on Unread. On Ooh, on she's really pretty. Who is that? Who's the person you left on Read? It's a girl that... Or Red. Uh, Red. It's a girl. She lives in... I don't want to talk about that. Okay, she's so pretty. Whoa. Okay, Brian, I know that I have uh, said this to you and then it kind of hurt your feelings, but like the girls that you interact with uh-huh. are very attractive. Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. I'm just looking at the pictures. I'm, just li- I'm not even reading. I'm just looking at the pictures. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was great. Very entertaining Sexy. for our listeners. Wow. Wow. Just, just so you know, listeners, they're all attractive. Uh, how are you feeling, young me? Um. Okay. So I am going through like a rocky time with my boyfriend, maybe ex-boyfriend. We're not sure what's going to happen. Oh, you had a discussion fine. that you guys weren't going to be together we're just gonna think we're not we didn't make the conclusion but we're thinking about it um and then this is probably pretty heavy and i know we wanted to talk about this no filter future say it on like another episode but i have a lot i have body dysmorphia very bad yeah and it's crazy because it's my main i feel like my main mental illness issue Mm -hmm. and it's crazy how much that sort of rolls a lot of things around me and so then i had like this you know did it flare up yes if in this particular rocky time that you're going through yes but this is the thing before the rocky time it was fine yeah and i like purposefully just like not per it's not like i'm doing like in my head i'm like i'm gonna fuck this up on purpose right but i start fucking losing my mind a little bit and just like everything feels very unstable and unsafe Mm -hmm. and then i like sort of like push everyone away from me because i literally can't handle somebody being in love with me like that to me feels very very unsafe and so i sort of like go nuts it's a self-sabotaging behavior yes Mm. and i mean there's partially it's that and partially yes a very big part of it is my fault and then there's some things that are yes his fault i'm not going to sit here and put all the blame on me because that's also sort of like an extension of my mental illness you know like it's not all my fault but a big portion of the reason where we're at right now is my fault and it's because of that specific behavior and because of that and all that happened in our relationship and now the relationships on the rocks I do you express this to him yes I I'm we're very open so we've talked all like this is all on the table but it's like can somebody you know the the crazy thing is that we do both really love each other yeah and that's probably why it will hopefully you will it will work work out but it's like we're at this place right now where I'm like do I want to live in this very unstable feeling world where somebody's in love with me and i have to deal with it and like control my crazy thoughts but it, uh, it's and good that you're he, you're op- yeah. like you feel comfortable enough to express this to him though i am but it's i'm expressing this after the fact right like does he want to be in a relationship with somebody that goes like nuts all the time which also he also goes uh, but there are people nuts. but there are people who yeah. do like yeah. that's how love and relationships work is that right. even the ugly sides of you it's being vulnerable enough to expose yourself and the other person willing to not even willing, but sometimes they like not enjoy it, but they want to be there for you because they care so much about you. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I feel like in the, 
past maybe i was even dating people that sort of enjoyed it and sort of loved the like, like savior complex yeah like yeah. the love the drama of it and it's not something that i'm like doing on purpose at all if and you know what i mean it's very much like the nature of me like the nature of the beast you know what i mean i can't right. do anything about like i obviously i can try to work i'm trying very hard to work on myself and i've made vast improvements but it's like sort of like a question for this person as well like does he want to knowing that about myself knowing that i'm trying the best that i can to fix who i am i mean i guess this is just in general like what relationships are you're right like yeah. you know with all <laughs> my flaws i just saw a light bulb how just go how off much in your brain he gonna you know want to he just you know doesn't it's not he's not a person that enjoys this sort of thing and i don't enjoy it either it's very painful for me you know you won't know until you just communicate and expose that self that part of you to your partner and uh, the reason i brought up the body dysmorphia thing is like because that it's, it's such a big part of it where i'm just realizing how big of a part of it it is like i do things specifically to stop feeling guilt and shame about my body and anyway after the breakup i've been on this very rigorous i mean very rigid diet and like exercise thing Mm -hmm. that like helps me sort of deal with my internal sort of self-hating dialogue and i just wanted to say that i i I thought i wanted to mention this this is like not (laughs) about my feelings but i (laughs) i like put myself on a very intense like keto diet (laughs) and i always get this rash on my chest and for years, I couldn't figure out what it was. Okay, and that's hot. And then I hot. finally found... Okay, Brian. <laughs> you you're, you were being real. You're like, that is hot. I'm like, okay, no. Brian, that's so weird. I don't know why you're... I'm jerking you're, off Now right you're now. making me feel so weird. You're making this me feel worse a, about my rash <laughs> at this... And uh, well, okay, so after years, I wanted to say this because, you know, this is an Asian person podcast. No doctors knew what it was. No dermatologists. And then I finally found this, like, this, like, pa- like medical, like what's it called so somebody wrote this about this rare th- rare quotes Wait, thing that medical, asian women medical what's it called somebody <laughs> paper wrote this paper thing. right well what is it when you put write something uh i still don't know like a medical uh, an asian medical doctor like somebody did you research- find a napkin no, no, somebody on the ground found somebody did like the study and found out that asian specifically asian women oh. get something called the keto rash when they do a keto diet wow and like nobody in america knew because like no one cares about asian women i guess i don't know why yeah. but like none of my dermatologists could figure it out and then i finally looked into it uh-huh and there's no real treatment except eating carbs perfect and yeah so <laughs> it's like now i'm gonna be skinny and just, just covered in rashes just a rashy skinny fucking woman well i love how it. every time we do the how are you feeling segment it's about I me feel feeling like fat. Uh, well, it's us just fucking being stewing in negative feelings, and so I. If I'm just being li- real for our listeners. Yeah, there will be times where young me and I are happy. You just might have I, to. It might happen in I episode one thousand. L- lightly bipolar, so like in like <laughs> eight more episodes, I'm gonna be like, I'm feeling great. I'm just feeling so like I'm just gonna freak. You're I'm gonna be so <laughs> mad. Young me are lightly bipolar, <laughs> extremely millennial. Like I'm extremely millennial. I'm a I'm a young millennial. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to also mention that because today we're talking about. Yeah, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about food, food today in this episode. Yeah. So. So young me. I'm excited for this episode because I consider you a food expert, largely in part because you, um, I've known you as a comedian, but you are also, uh, you're part of the inception of Mission Chinese Food. Yes, I am one of the owners of Mission Chinese and I did start it with my ex-husband danny who is so for our listeners who don't know what mission chinese is like can you just give a a sizzle reel or like a synopsis of what it is like what how would you describe it it is a it's a chinese restaurant that um sort of focuses on western chinese cuisine and it's slightly like a fusion restaurant but not as much as people think because i feel like what we uh, what the dishes that we're known for are very truly like authentic szechuan dishes yeah. that aren't represented in america because you know they they're very intense flavored dishes they're very spicy and there's lots of something called mala in it which is a numbing 
Szechuan peppercorn yeah. that has been sort of absent from the, you know, majority of American Chinese cuisine. Is that a good description? And it's also a very hip and cool restaurant. Yeah. Well, and it's I like, like how you asked me if it was a good description and you're the owner of the yeah, restaurant. Like, but I mean, do you think, is that easy to like no, it digest? Makes perfect sense. Okay. I mean, as some, as an outsider, yeah. I became, I knew about Mission Chinese because like you said, it's like a very hip and cool restaurant. Right. And I read about it on a lot of media sites, like food, like infatuation or Bon right. Appetit or Eater, like those types of places. And yeah. You started it in San Francisco in the Mission District, yes, which is why it's called Mission Chinese Food, right? Mm-hmm. So the st- the story basically is that we started a well, we we started a Chinese restaurant inside of another, like a very classic American Chinese restaurant, like a restaurant that does like takeout, and their menu is like orange chicken and, and sweet and sour whatever wh- soup, and then and we our friend Anthony mm-hmm. asked that. Our friend Anthony is, Bourdain. Yeah, no, 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 it wasn't <laughs> Anthony Bourdain. I think people that know Anthony Bourdain call him Tony oh. R.I.P. But um, I'm an outsider. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever say my friend, I don't. I'm not. I was not friends with him. Let's be honest. Um, but um, okay. So my friend ha- asked these Chinese people that own this restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's like a very classic, you know, like five dollar chicken chow mein. Yeah, like, like a takeout. Yeah, like a Chinese takeout restaurant. Chinese restaurant. He asked if he could rent it out once a week and do like a pop-up and so he he was a chef and he worked at a very nice restaurant and so So you would would use their kitchen yeah so anthony would use their kitchen and then it was like over all over twitter and it was sort of like a secret thing a secret pop-up so the only people that knew like were the people that knew in the food industry or no they were like regular people but they heard it from word of mouth so it would be like the chef like a really famous chef like a chef from like the french laundry sure doing a dinner and it was everything was gonna be ten dollars and then yeah. oh my god and then everybody would go come and line up because that would have no that one can afford the french laundry hit so with huge millennials hit. because yeah we love exclusivity yes like we want to be in on a secret and this is like what 2009 or 8 when this started to really blow up and this is like the beginnings of twitter and there's all these young tech kids and like they knew about twitter yeah. and like and it was like one of the first i think restaurant things that blew up how did twitter. the chinese restaurant owners like whose space you were occupying like yeah. sort of take to this popularity that you they were just confused and they're still like, con- I mean, obviously they were just like, cool. Like, I don't know. They were like, okay, Anthony's a chef and he has a following and his yeah. friends are popular chefs and they have a following. And they were like, oh, cool. Like once a week, the restaurant gets um, crazy packed and there's like a three hour wait. Mm-hmm. And then we would just, or Anthony would pay her rent and she would just be like, oh, like, you know, obviously she understood what was going on. Right. And then she would kind of just be like, oh, you know. The, the thing was that she never really cared about the restaurant because she owned the building. She's like a landlord in San okay. Francisco. So she owns a bunch of buildings. So basically the restaurant was a place for her and her mom to like watch TV, you know, in the in the first floor of the building that she collected. Okay, from. which is where this takeout restaurant existed. Yeah, so she never really cared about the actual restaurant, which is ah, great because she'd be like, okay, whatever here, like give me this much money a night and you can rent it, whatever. I see, I see. It must have been yeah. more... I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I I guess there would be a little bit less guilt in that regard, knowing that the the restaurant owner is also the landlord of the building. And this was kind of just like a secondary thing. There was no guilt because her restaurant was completely dead and she didn't care. Do you know I what I mean? See, like we were, we were definitely not stealing customers or anything. Right. And this is before I was involved. And so after Anthony had this relationship with her and then after the pop up every week, it would be a different chef. But then after about two years, it sort of, you know, like lost its like hype. It's luster. It's steam. Yeah. Because yeah. it's also hard to fill a restaurant. I mean, it was so crazy busy all the time, but then it's hard to go to a restaurant not knowing what the menu is going to be. You know what I mean? Every yeah. week. So it's like, okay, so one week it might be the chef of like Chez Panisse, but then the next week is a chef I've never heard of him and like what or her and like, what are they going to make? Am I going to like it? I don't know. You know, like that. Yeah. So seeing how popular it became, did that kind of give you and your ex-husband the confidence to start your own venture? So, no, no. What happened was that we were, we heard a lot back then it was called Mission Street Food. And we heard a lot about Mission Street Food, like all the chefs in San Francisco. It was like a 
huge like gossip thing we were like have you heard this guy had no money and now he's like making so much money and like letting all the chefs like do whatever they want it's so fun and so obviously at that time danny was still was well established as a chef already Mm -hmm. and he had won this like world championship pesto championship okay casual (laughs) yeah just like he he went to italy and randomly won this thing (laughs) just randomly won a pesto competition yeah the world pesto like and he was like in the newspapers in italy because they're like this chinese guy or whatever he's korean but you know and um so he was already well established so anthony invited him to do a night at mission street food oh I and see. then it went really well and mm-hmm. like it was like a very busy night even for them at that point because it had sort of like tapered off yeah and anthony really liked is anthony Danny. asian yes anthony okay. is i believe he's like i always forget he's half chinese and then half maybe malaysian or i, I don't know he never really talks about it yeah um so and then he really liked Danny and he was like he really liked Danny's food so he was like hey you know Mission Street Food is fizzling out what do you, do you want to do something with me like a st- stable concept and we can just open it yeah with a per- with a set menu every day with and the, yeah the just set a menu regular restaurant cuz Sue she was like I'm tired of doing this restaurant Sue's the owner of the restaurant mm-hmm. she was like I'm tired of doing this why don't you just take over and just give me a cut or whatever right yeah and so then I remember like we went to the like outer richmond which is in san francisco it's just like, this very chinese neighborhood yeah it's like not the tourist chinatown it's like the actual chinatown where like, like where the local like where local the local chinese, people, chinese go. people live okay right it's like the neighborhood where they live and we were at this restaurant that was a Szechuan, like a very authentic Szechuan restaurant. And I remember just being like, I've never had food that tastes, I, I've had like Szechuan food, which was like chicken with sambal on top of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, I was like, this just tastes so different. This yeah. is crazy. And I mean, I think personally it tastes a lot like Korean food because it's so spicy. Yes. And I was like, this is so good. And then Anthony was like, Anthony and Danny apparently had been going there for like, I had been going there like every day for lunch and then one day they were just like dude let's and dude let's do this this is exciting yeah so that was so they did that sort of Szechuan like western Chinese oh like Islamic Chinese menu wow I don't know and I remember in the beginning it took a while for did you guys do a, but what was there a lot of due diligence done yeah because like you said you discovered this new type of Szechuan flavor that yeah. was very it was a novel sensory experience for you like right. you had never t- tasted these kinds of flavors or sensations before yeah and so you guys you know capitalize on this not capitalize but you just wanted to introduce it to a larger audience because you guys felt very passionately about this sort of new experience that you had with this type of cuisine yeah and I'm sure you wanted to be respectful like do it in a respectful way do you know what I yeah. mean? Just because you find something new, you see it in like rap and hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. like if someone who is not black, we judge them based on like, well, how well versed are they in hip hop history? Is it right. done in a respectful way? Right. Well, this is, well, at the time, mm-hmm. I have to be honest, we weren't really thinking about like what it meant that we were taking this kind of food that wasn't our cultural food. Right. I mean, it was a different time then too. Right. It was a, we never really thought about that, but you know, looking back now, I'm like at the time Danny was working at an Italian restaurant Mm -hmm. and he was just like a classically trained chef. Yeah. And And I was working at like a fancy, like new American restaurant and it was like a California cuisine restaurant. And like we, we were never like, I feel like a lot of you hear a lot of people go to like Japan and make study ramen or, or they go to like Vietnam and be like, you know, a lot of white chefs and be like, oh, I can make this better. There yes. was never there was never a thought in my head or Danny said that we're going to make this better. We were just like, oh, this is like cool. I think for Danny, it was mostly I want to learn how to make this. Yeah, he is a very talented chef. And I'm sure it was exciting to you two because at the time you both were working in non-asian restaurants yeah and, and we so were like this is good this is closer to you guys' identity this yeah is szechuan cuisine yeah yeah and also danny you know the food is like differences in it enough that it's not just you know it's not 
itself in itself. It's not like we were like, we're going to open a ramen restaurant, but better. And it's just going to be, but just better. We were just like, we, we made, you know, like he would make a dish that would be like, this is this with these flavors. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's, there's a very popular dish called like Kung Pao pastrami. Right. And he just took those flavors and was like, Oh, let's just do this. It is very much sort of like fusion. Yeah. It was just like this idea. He's using his background. Yeah. Like he was using integrating this new passion and this new excitement and creating a new product out of it. Yeah. Like he, yeah, it was very much a fusion. Like there's, you know, like Hainan chicken is like this very popular like dish in Singapore. He would like he would be like oh this is a great dish but then he would he would use like a comfy method to cook yeah. the chicken and just be like oh this is like f- weird like this not so never not better just like at no oh, point in the process yeah yeah did you you weren't labeling yourselves as this is a better way to do never things. never look okay, this is the thing that we the restaurant that Sue's restaurant looked. I mean, terrible because she didn't care about it. Like I said, she mm-hmm. didn't really have customers. She was and just Sue there, is the the, the initial takeout Chinese yeah, restaurant. Yeah, of the takeout restaurant. Um, and we liked that because we were like, oh, then people aren't going to expect, they're not going to think it's elevated Chinese food. You know, no one's going to come in and be like, oh, it's like a James Beard award winning chef. Like it's, yeah. it's like clean, it's fine dining Chinese food or something. Cause that's not at all what we were thinking yeah. and wanting people to think of us. Mm-hmm. So we just sort of left it looking like Sue's living room, you know, like interesting. And we were just like, and I mean, to be honest, a lot of it was done ironically because yeah. we thought it was funny to be like, Oh here I like, I was like the only empl- like waiter, like server at this that is point. a very nondescript dining area yeah no one's we're gonna, gonna expect hit you anything with very and the food's gonna be food. good yeah like not elevated in like a snotty it's i wouldn't call it elevated i'd just be like it's the food's gonna be like good and it's not gonna be like oh, god damn that sounds so shitty damn this is like walking a tightrope it's just gonna be weird it is it's what it is weird yeah. food it's not gonna be like because i went to the whatever I, I it's not clean it's the same kitchen that you know like whatever yeah. there is msg in it you know like whatever it's not gonna we had a, it's not organic we we like at that time were so like it was so pretentious i know you've been to san francisco how every restaurant is like organic man my chicken like yeah my chicken i petted it every day it's like shut the fuck up you know like <laughs> Well, because also I was working in a California restaurant and they were getting opening cans and putting it on your plate. You know what I mean? Like it's all bullshit, you know, like Mm -hmm. restaurants are trying to just make money. Right. Mm -hmm. All those restaurants are total bullshit. But so like we were so against like people calling it clean and and people would try to come in like reporters and like media people and be like, well, like it's better, huh? Isn't it like cleaner? And I'm like we'd be like shut the fuck up and we just be like it's not we literally fucking use msg like yeah what like just shut up we're just making food that tastes good and like i feel like at that point anthony was so like so against people calling it better because it was offensive to him because he's chinese right? yeah no absolutely and obviously us because we're asian and so I he was, would like attack people about that i went to I've dined at the original Mission Chinese in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. And the way I perceived that experience was the food itself was uh, very, I just found it to be interesting because I had never tasted anything like it before. Right. There was like a mix, a mishmash of flavors and it was like very intense and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. But when I looked at the dining room experience, yeah, it, to me it felt like it was very, con- you weren't trying to make it better more so. It was just like a conscious branded way of you wanted to present cool like because you guys felt that it was cool it's 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 like what a lot of artists do these like to this day where you might um there's it's the intent behind the action so like some artists will intentionally yeah dress kind of like billy eilish for instance Mm -hmm. like she intentionally dresses quote-unquote shitty yeah. But because you know what the intent behind it is, then it becomes cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rather than like, oh, I sincerely think this looks good, but the result is bad. Yeah, there's definitely like a thick vibe at Mission Chinese, but that came across very like naturally because mm-hmm. the staff, when we started, was just me. I thought it w- we didn't think it was going to be that busy and they got really busy right yeah. away and we had to hire people. And, and I'm sure just you just like reached out to people, your friends Mission and Street stuff. food people who yeah. are just like, 
servers that worked in nice restaurants that were tired of doing fine dining. So they would come and just be like, hang out and drink beer and like just have fun. That was the fun of it for me. Yeah, yeah. There was like you were getting this interesting food, yeah, really good, but the vibe overall still felt unpretentious. But I I still felt like I was in a in on a cool secret. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely like, I don't know, parts of it are kind of like corny and obviously it's a little affected because it's like, how could it not be? But it just sort of like had a life of its own, actually. Mm-hmm. Like people were just like, oh, fuck this, whatever. Um, but I guess like it's it's tricky because I feel like I don't want to sound like defensive or that I'm defending this thing that to a lot of people will probably come off as like appropriation. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I don't. You know, we just literally, I think, I think the, we've never really been accused of appropriation. And I feel like it's solid, solidly, <laughs> it's solidly, solidly because, um, <laughs> you love that. That's your word of the that's week. That's my word. That's what we used to say back in the seventies. Um, because <laughs> I, I feel like there was never any, and there was never even, in our, I've never even thought of like, you know, when we see all these people getting in trouble today I, and for calling their white people, calling their restaurants, clean Chinese food and stuff. Right. N- never in my mind that I ever once consider or call like mission chinese clean the word clean you know no. what i mean like i would never think you know it, i did like at some point i was like well obviously it's better because this is like my husband and i like believe in him mm-hmm. and like i just thought he was like the best chef in the world mm-hmm. so i was like he's the best like that yeah. in that sense like where i was like hyping him up but it never i think like, the difference here is that from from the way you describe it yeah. from the inception it came from a place of a lot of love and a yeah. lot of passion right as opposed to well like to clearly there's a design flaw in this thing so let's fix it and try to make it better and improve this yeah. cuisine like it never was about that yeah and like you know a lot of the it was never about that it was never like look at these dirty blah blah, blah restaurants yeah. like i never had that it never came from that and also after opening mission i actually started gaining way more respect i mean it took a a certain amount of time because i feel like like everyone else in america i had this like sort and you know like this sort of idea like oh chinese food like that sort of knee-jerk reaction yes well this was going to be my next question is mm -hmm. that david chang has been very public about this on how asian cuisine usually is not perceived as high-end right. in the way that Western European cuisines are. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think of Michelin star restaurants, you always think of, like, French food, Italian food. That's right. a high-dining experience. Yep. And a part of it could just be the, the saturation of Chinese takeout. And so we make the association that, oh, well, clearly all Chinese food is can't be... Bad or is whatever. bad It's yeah. low-class, can't be high-end. So for yeah. you, you were, you're ob- you were obviously not operating a takeout business for you this was just a passion project and yeah what i want to know is initially when you had customers like before you established established the reputation of mission chinese food did you have customers who might have treated you in a way that subconsciously they thought oh this is a low-end experience oh my god yes well like before i get into that i just want to say real quick like I respected now, I I started to respect like these like quote unquote low class like Chinese restaurants because like the truth is people hate on them because they're like cheap and like they don't like trust them or whatever. Right. But that's literally the only allowance they have in American culture Mm -hmm. to have restaurants like no, like white people won't pay more than six dollars for chicken chow mein. Like they just won't do it. Right. And so they're not even letting them do it unless it's a white woman that opens, you know, like organic, whatever. And it's like $19 for the same shit. Mm -hmm. Like there's no room in American culture for Chinese people to not have cheap Chinese food. So it's like, I don't know. So I started to respect it and be like, but back to your question. No, um, but that's that's a great point because, you know, my my parents are Korean immigrants. Yeah. And. When they visit New York, I sometimes my sister and I will sometimes make a reservation at, you know, like a popular New York eating establishment. And anytime my parents go there, they're always disappointed. They oh. they're like, "This is so overpriced. This isn't that good." Yeah. And my parents love when we just eat fam- We eat out as a family. We'll just go to a takeout place. Right. And my parents love it because. 
the kitchen's open. You can see them making it right in front of you. Uh-huh. And to them, that's like the best quality to price ratio that you, uh, type of food you can get. Right. So like it, it doesn't get any fresher than this. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can see them making it in the giant walk in front yeah. of you. Mm-hmm. So to yeah, them, they like don't have that association whatsoever. Yeah. Like in fact, it's they cheap, think it's bad or whatever. Uh, no. Th- yeah, yeah. To them, it's like this is fresh. This is good. Yeah. When we see like high end dining restaurants in New York that are made by white people. Yeah. They just think anyone who any patrons there are just stupid mm-hmm. and they're falling for a trap. Mm. Oh, that's how my mom thinks about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember like at the height of mission chinese we were getting invited to all these fancy restaurants and i would take my mom and she'd be like it's, it's bad yeah we <laughs> <laughs> were like yes yeah, it's, it's all cooked in butter mom get she oh it's too much butter and like putting bread in her yeah purse. sorry to der- derail it but no, you were saying I was that say, no, like, ma- initially like, you faced some challenges because oh my God, people well, perceived so it as low end mission chinese so basically the part of the whole thing was that it looked very like your standard takeout chinese restaurant right and people would come in and not get that it was ironic mm. and they would treat me like shit R- treat you because mm-hmm. i was a server and i was like oh is this how you treat chinese restaurant people oh my god why are you treating me like, like this can you give us can you give me an example well cause i remember this one thing okay, at the same time at during lunch i would be working at this fancy white restaurant like an yeah. american restaurant and it was fancy and there was like very intense like points of service like we had to do everything perfectly it was you know like it was to the point where we had we had to like place plates down in a certain way Mm -hmm. la da 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 right every day before service we had to have a meeting with the chef and talk about the seasonal whatever menu (laughs) whatever and um we had to know what we were talking about with like every single thing on the menu. We had to taste it. We had to drink all the wine and blah, blah, blah. And so my service, my standard of service was very high, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but it was crazy because I would, I would take that sort of service into Mission Chinese and nobody would tip me. Like what? I re- So uh, this is a thing that like, I don't know why people think mostly white people, other people too, but mostly white people think it's okay that when you're at a Chinese restaurant to tip $1 for your whole meal wow is that crazy so That's people all the time insane. regular i swear to god probably till this day they would come in eat a 35 five dollar meal and leave one dollar and i'd be like dude what? i know that my service doesn't suck because three hours ago i was serving basically you at a, a white restaurant right and i got like eight dollars and I'm like, what? What's the difference? They it's just like, have that. Oh. Some, it's a subconscious bias. Yeah. Because it's like I'm in a Chinese restaurant. That one dollar tip. Yeah. Is a manifestation of. Well, I'm How in a much Chinese they value restaurant. Asian this is a, people? This is, a, this is a low class thing. Yeah. This doesn't warrant a twenty percent tip. Uh uh-uh. uh oh And my I was God. like, there's my services. I mean, obviously, I'm not wearing my goddamn like embarrassing ass. I don't know what what I. I don't think I had a uniform, but you know what I mean. Like I was like. For what the food costs the same? Well, there was the same amount of work went in it. The service was literally this. Literally, I'm the same server, and I just remember things like that. I remember like people would say, the people would come in all the time and just start moving tables around. I was like, you would never fucking go. You, would can you imagine if somebody walked into like Marlo and Sons and started moving tables around? Yeah, like Marlo and Sons is that like, or like fancy I, I don't know Brooklyn restaurant. Like I don't know. I don't even know. Like what's a nicer middle restaurant that everybody knows like abc kitchen can you fucking imagine no they, can they you would fucking s- imagine a white person walking into abc kitchen and moving the i'm getting so angry yeah. moving the goddamn tables around we have no, nine abso- people i'm just gonna we're just gonna sit here like, i was like absolutely i would just be like yo shut the fuck i'm standing by the door i'm the host there is a host i'm your host can you fucking <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm i was just like looking at i was just looking at them like what why why do you think that's okay i would literally say i, I remember i like I, I worked there for like it was just so busy. I think I lost my mind a little bit, but like I, at some point I would just start being like, why do you think that's okay here? Why? You know, wow. like what, what, what about this? I'm here. I'm, I'm the person that you're talking to. Like that's, they would, that just, is they crazy. were like out of control. Like the, the level of no respect that people have for people that are in a Chinese restaurant. And I remember we always hired like these like hipster, like tattooed, like nose ring people, that we knew from our other jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, after a while, all of them got really started getting, becoming so rude. And I think to this day, they're very rude to customers. And it's like, it's, it's the, it's the result of dealing with the literal least amount of respect. I don't know what it is. It's just like when people see 
you know it obviously it's like an ironically done and like sure i I understand that people don't have a sense for like for something that's that intensely ironic but it's like you shouldn't do that at a restaurant period it doesn't matter if it's like a five dollar restaurant or whatever respect the people that work there yeah you should never do that anywhere it doesn't matter if you think it's a cheap place or expensive place or a white person place Mm-hmm. you know it, it literally start started to drive me insane because i feel like up to that point i was still living in this world where like i believe that there wasn't that much racism mm-hmm. or like devaluation of asian people yeah especially in a place in like the bay area where there is so much diversity yeah and it's just so like blatant it's it blows my mind blatant like this like people would be like oh god i would just get in fight i, I don't want to think about it. this is too much for me no well that brings an interest that is interesting to me because yeah, it, it, it is because of this um, subconscious bias, this implicit racism that yeah. people have towards Asian cuisine. Yeah. Where non-Asian people feel like they can enter the space and make improvements upon it. Mm-hmm. And you see that in so many examples. And then they respect it. Because then like, if you go to like, there's so many restaurants that are famous now that are white chef owned. And mm-hmm. the white chefs, they do get in trouble when like, you know, like we talked about the guy that... That had that pho restaurant in Philly. Yeah, there's Remember? a white guy, white this chef named Tyler Aiken. Yeah. And he has a very popular restaurant called Stock. And he went viral because he made like a Bon Appetit video, like white splaining pho. Mm-hmm. And, and people just went nuts because it was just, it, was, it wasn't like what he was even saying. It was like this whole like. But so do you think there is no parameter, like there's no condition in which it would be okay? Like maybe he is a, no. like. I know this is not the case, but what if it was a white person who was born and raised in Vietnam? Oh, yeah. That's that, all the food he knows. He would technically become an expert well, in pho. Honestly, I would say even him as a white person that just learned about pho, he has every right to have that restaurant. I think that's great. I think there's a lot of white chefs that own a lot of different kinds of restaurants, whether it's Mexican or Vietnamese or Japanese, and they're all totally fine because they're just like, they're just like, oh, this is the kind of food that I'm making. But mm-hmm. I, I think what, what or the problem arises mm-hmm. is when they say something like, this is called, like, it's either like the white splaining thing where like, do you even know what this is? It's called pho. Do you even know? It's like, uh, uh yes. <laughs> if, uh, that's the problem. That's one problem. Another problem is when they take it and then they say, this is shitty. Chinese food is shitty, but I made it good. Like that's another problem. Yeah, I that's mean that's the, what that's what. That's um, the only time people get upset. Like nobody. Yeah. There's so many restaurants owned by white people that are Asian food restaurants. So many, and mm. no one, no one, no Asian people have a problem with that. Do you have right. a problem with that? No, not at all. No, like, I mean I this is the same reason the why that host of uh, Bizarre Foods, Andrew Zimmern. Yeah, like he opened a Chinese restaurant in Minnesota. He other Chinese restaurants, horseshit. Yeah, well, that was his whole uh, branding and marketing was I'm going to elevate the Chinese dining experience, which implies that the Chinese dining experience is shitty. Yeah, and it's not shitty. And rightfully so, he and got into a lot of trouble. And also, you know, like these people make. This is something I always think about. White Americans like like talk shit about cheap Asian food, mm-hmm. but white America is the country that invented heavily processed food. Like these are things that we're taking from America. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I know MSG is from Japan, but like the 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 things that you're complaining about in Chinese like Chinese American food is as much American as it is Chinese. You know what I mean? Like these are yeah. American methods making food very cheap and unhealthy, mm. you know? So I'm I'm always like, okay, you're talking shit about Chinese food, but and calling it like dirty and how they make it, but you're totally fine with these diners, these American diners that use 80 cent pork. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. the same quality. It is. But, but like, how do Ameri- white Americans think about diners? They think of it like so nostalgic. Like, oh, we're going to get a hamburger and a milkshake. It's this filled takes with corn me back syrup. To my but childhood. Yeah. yeah, but, and you're totally okay eating there, but you're going to be like, ugh, it's a chi- Chinese food. It's so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, like, the same reason why MSG is such a bad word yeah. in america mm-hmm. because there are so many people just associate it with chinese food with chinese food but you know what's funny about msg it's, it's pervasive in literally everywhere. every packaged food in america yeah then it's in your goddamn doritos it's in <laughs> make everything you get at mcdonald's you know like come yeah. on mm, come see on, i've always 
That makes a lot of sense to me. Like you say, it, it, it becomes a problem when you shit on the pre-existing cuisine and offer a up a solution. Where you're the solution. Where you're the solution. No. Because I've, wa- I've always wondered, like we, it's, you s- I read about a lot on the internet where there is a white chef who mm-hmm. is taking Asian cuisine and then trying to appropriate it or like remix it so it, it's an improvement and they get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. But it's it's much more rare to see an Asian chef, let's say, like let's use David Chang for an example. Uh-huh. He, his yeah. claim to fame was Momofuku noodles. Mm-hmm. He is a Korean person who his first restaurant was a Japanese ramen yeah. shop. Yep. And we see a lot of examples of that where it could be a sushi restaurant that's owned and operated by non-Japanese people, like Korean people or yeah. Chinese people. Like but it's never an it's never in I don't see any take any issue with it. Yeah. But I there could be like if we really wanted to dissect it, it could happen. You I know? mean, I, I, I hear people saying that a lot. Like when they're like, why why is everyone mad at these white people for having Asian restaurants and like Chinese people have all these sushi restaurants? It's mm-hmm. like, there's no Chinese person that ever said, I'm going to make it better. It's better than... You, you, no one's ever said that. They're just opening it because they know that sushi sells or whatever. Right. Or like David Chang even, he I don't even think he's ever said, I'm making ramen better he's he's probably said something along the lines of like i'm making it for an american audience which makes sense because he lives in america but i yeah. don't think he's ever said and I, he went to japan and he studied ramen and yeah. that was his thing and he was very passionate about it i've never heard him say anything along the lines of i'm making it better right it's right dirty, you know right. And, yeah. and even us like we fall in that category i feel like there was never a time where you know I was like, I still feel like I, this is probably bad, but like, I like that restaurant. It's called Spices better than Mission Chinese. I don't think we could ever make it better because it's just like some like mean guy in the back making it, you know, and it's, <laughs> they have like stinky tofu the mean, and they the put The meaner like, the chef, the spicier the food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's, and, and also there is nothing actually wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with white people making Asian food at all. I go to, yeah. Like I we think were as talking long about as some other restaurants, As long as right? it comes from a place of uh respect like, yeah I'm it's, just it's all about it respect because it's good and i like this kind of food here is uh, i'm interested in making it here is my restaurant like yeah there's nothing wrong with that no one's ever said anything was wrong with that yeah ever. i mean most recently there was a white woman who opened a chinese restaurant in, in greenwich village in uh, yeah. new york lucky she called lucky lee's yeah and she branded it as a clean chinese food experience yeah and she made some switches to the menu like she served lo mein but called it like high lo mein so every step of the way it was like a subcon like it felt that she was belittling chinese food yeah i remember in in the initial description too she said something like yeah you ever love just i just love chinese food but i just don't want to feel like shit you know what i mean like that and everyone's like oh my god god that is terrible well terrible terrible and what do you think is the next, um, you know, I think Korean food, like, so obviously most Americans, their first introduction to Asian cuisine is Chinese food. Yeah. You know, you have like Christmas story, like Chinese takeout is a thing to do on Hanukkah. Yeah. When yeah. It's Christmas. Um, what do you, why did I say Hanukkah? Is the family in Christmas story Jewish? I I just know a lot so. of Jew. I think yeah. a lot of Jewish people or maybe eat they're not. Chinese food. Maybe they just went there because their dinner got ruined. Or it's open. Which is literally the remember that is a terrible scene. Yeah. Oh, horrible, horrible, horrible. <laughs> I'm like I'm like shaking right now. You're but, so angry. Uh, and but I think right now then you had sushi. Like sushi is very popular. I feel like right now yeah. Korean food is kind of having a moment. You know what? Are you are you gonna ask me what what I think the next food is? Yeah, it's gonna be big. I'm not sure. I, I you think really don't know. I feel like sushi is always gonna be really popular. Thai is gonna be always really popular. Chinese is gonna be really popular, and then Korean, like Filipino, Vietnamese is always gonna be sort of like right underneath. You know, it's never gonna fully. I like how you're just shitting. They're gonna be right underneath the Korean you know, cuisine I just, I just where it belongs. Like, you know, this <laughs> is why this is why I think this because have you? I know you have a lot of friends that are not Asian. Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken somebody like this? this blows my mind to like sometimes i'll take like i'll be like hey maybe at this vietnamese restaurant and they'll be like literally have no idea what's going on i'm like you don't yeah. n- like they're like oh like the, f- the fuck 
accoutrement comes to the table and they're yeah. like eating it i'm like don't eat the well, you put base and they're like or like the vietnamese coffee will come out and they're yeah. like what yeah and um or it, like this happens a lot when i take people to korean restaurants to this day mm-hmm. whereas then i feel like it happens you know you can take people to sushi and they pretty much know no what's go- but no? they'll order like the rolls instead of sashimi oh man you know what <laughs> I can't, I have to say, I actually take that back because I literally, to this day, will go to lunch with sushi with somebody and they don't know what's going on. And I'm like, how are you a young millennial like I am? You you don't know. You don't know what's going on. This is crazy. Yeah. Like I can, you know, like, I don't know. It's weird. because it, like, It's all t- It's all linked together. And, you yeah. know, there's not as much media representation for Asians. And so what are their cultural touch points like what yeah. is their exposure it's minimal compared to other cultures i right. mean from in my opinion right now i think filipino food is kind of on the up and up like they just opened a jollibee which is oh, a fast food where i love jollibee in new york near yeah. grand central right I yeah think i drove by it's, it. a, it's a new it's a uh, jollibee is I a love jollibee. fast food filipino restaurant but I, I see more and more filipino uh restaurants kind of sprouting up I, my introduction to Filipino food was, uh, it didn't happen until college because my ex-girlfriend in college was Filipino oh, and okay. it's its own, like I had never tried it before. It's its own, it has its own flavors and I think it's fantastic, but it raises a question of, I find, I think a lot of millennials, uh, there is a, we're entrepreneurial out of. Uh, like a jadedness like we're kind of tired of the systems we know we recognize that the job market is kind of shitty so i'm gonna take a risk here and oftentimes it's the risk is the food industry like i'm going to enter the food space i want to open my own restaurant i want to you know respect my elder i want to pay homage to my ancestors and i want to start a restaurant right and when i see these and it happens across all different types of Asian cuisines. Let's just use Filipino cuisine um, for the sake of this. Do you think like these young restaurant owners, and you can speak to your experiences with Mission Chinese, their their ancestors came first as immigrants, yeah. and like you said, there is no place in the American job market for them to acclim- like to integrate themselves into. So oftentimes they just start restaurants because yeah. that's what they know. Like they can speak the language of food, so I'll serve white people. And this is my way of contributing to uh, American society and try to be accepted is through this delicious food. Yeah. These, so with, these n- with this new wave of restaurant owners who have like a formal education but still want to, uh, they want to own and operate a restaurant. Yeah. Do, do you think there's ever any feeling that they might be like displacing like mom and pop mm. restaurants that came before them? Well, I think there's there's always going to be room in America for those like immigrant ran restaurants, right? Because yeah. there's always room in America for like things that are cheap and fast mm-hmm. and uh comforting. Right. So, you know, like uh like when you were saying that, I, I'm thinking about this like like there's like a new wave of like Vietnamese restaurants that are owned by younger Vietnamese people that grew up in the States and mm-hmm. it's very good and like, you know, like whatever, it's great and expensive, <laughs> you know, expensive or whatever. So, but like, you know, there's always going to be room in America for the pho place that's $7 a bowl and also the pho place that's $25 a bowl. Right. Uh, Which is like kind of like what they're doing. Yeah. Is, so you, right? so you don't I think, think there's, there's overlap in the audience. I don't think so. I don't think anyone ever goes to mission Chinese because the, because the takeout Chinese place on their corner was closed. Do you know what I mean? It's like a different place in their brain that the, those restaurants occupy. Right. Like right. they're not gonna be like, should we go to Mission Chinese or this Golden Chinese next door? You know. The those only time different. I can see it becoming a a problem is when, let's say you open a higher priced Asian dining experience. Mm-hmm. So. In effect, wouldn't it raise the rent prices of like neighboring businesses, right. and then that would drive out those that mom and pop shops? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a gentrification. Well, it's like I a gentrification like of Asian cuisine. Yeah, I think that both restaurants, all three, you know, including San Francisco, they were already in neighborhoods that were well gentrified. Okay, you know, like because we needed sort of like the clientele to be there first, mm-hmm. and then we opened. We never like ever opened in a place that was like 
you know un ungentrified ungentrified yeah which i don't i'm not justifying it because it's definitely like we're not helping anything for you know like yeah. people that are like need to eat five dollar chinese food we're just following the clientele right yeah so I, i'm not justifying it i don't actually know like yeah i mean I it's a hard it's that. a hard question and i yeah it's just it's something like, that i've you know and us about. like being of the social class that are gentrifiers yeah like it's something we have to i don't know people always talk about gentrification like someone else is doing it i'm like hey guys <laughs> it's us <laughs> like right i'm like right, what right, are you guys right. talking about it's just you live in fucking bushwick man i'm talking about it so i am absolved of any yeah guilt. i'm like you're a vegan white person living in bushwick come right. on man oh my god speaking of veganism yeah eddie huang so uh, for our listeners who don't know, Eddie Huang is he, he he's like a he's a multi hyphen and he does everything. But he opened he he got his start in the food industry, I think. Like he opened Bauhaus, yeah, served Bows in the East Village, and now he's just like a writer, director, filmmaker, um, just an awesome Asian American icon. And he uh, I saw he made an Instagram post stating that he is now going to become vegan or vegetarian or as a way to mitigate climate change huh. because there's a lot of energy that gets expended um, right. to create meat yeah and so he feels a lot of guilt and that as a and like as a way to preserve our planet he's going to take a stand and become yeah. vegan and my knee-jerk reaction was it must be very hard for asian america like i know a lot of indian cuisine is innately vegan yeah. But when I think of my parents and other East Asian cuisines, yeah, it's not. My parents will just love meat. Way Do you too know much. that there was like, well, yeah. So we would. So the question is, is that hard for East Asians? Well, do you vegan? think? It, do you think it would be? You know, climate change is a very real problem. I mean, that's the best reason to be vegan, and you know, it's not like he's being condescending because a lot of like people are like vegan because. They say they care about the suffering of animals and sure. they still eat food made from the suffering of humans, you know, like yeah. there's that and stuff like that. Do you think there's going to be a shift in Asian cuisine with... Into veganism? Yeah. Like once the climate change problems become more rampant, more urgent, I have no idea. Real. I have literally no idea. Like, can you imagine people in Korea <laughs> becoming vegan? It's so hard. It's, uh, they, like, I mean, you know, like the crazy thing about Korea that people don't realize, I think, is that for you know thousands of years it was buddhist so it was a vegetarian country mm -hmm. and then the invading like whatever mongolians brought beef and so it was like a sign of like if you ate meat that was like evolvedness or whatever different from the whatever it was before so yeah. I think there i feel like there's a lot of that in korea specifically you yeah. know that like rea very strong reaction against being vegetarian i don't know it's yeah. this is a very long topic it's hard vegans in asia yeah, it's a generational thing too because I have yeah. Asian American friends who are vegan, but they yeah. talk about but they're like their parents American. are just their parents are just so unaccepting of their vegan lifestyle. Mm. Like they can't conceptualize like why in the world would you not eat meat? Right. Like that's, that's how my so parents hard. Yeah. my parents express their love that way. We'll go to a Korean barbecue restaurant and they will just push meat this, onto me. This has a lot to do with being I feel like because my mom have this is really funny story mm -hmm. about when she was young and like no one could afford meat. Yeah. Like eggs were for rich kids and really rich kids would eat beef. Yeah. And I, I laugh so hard at the story, but she was like the really rich kid that got beef in his lunch would walk around and show people the beef like la 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 beef beef. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, that there's a lot of pain there and is i don't know about your parents but for my mom whereas she was like a kid and she couldn't get it no that's know? so true because she was poor and the people would make fun of her because she had never tried meat oh i feel and like so, such a bad son right and now so because that's that applies why to my she, mom right doesn't that make yeah. sense in their generation so she's now like because beef I is said, considered a, sta it's a status it's yeah a, it's a luxury but then for her she also is like the person that really pushed my like body dysmorphia she created that <laughs> in me and so now she's like crazy about being skinny and stuff so she she always brags about how she doesn't like me it's like this very complex thing in her head right like she's she doesn't want to look poor but she doesn't want to look fat so it's like it's like this battle that goes on in her head about me she's very conflicted well, that was a great was episode. A I, I, I enjoyed picking your brain and talking about food for this episode. I feel like I talked too much about myself, Brian. I wanted to hear more about your parents. Hey, you're, you're, you're a food expert. And, and I getting can be teased for your stinky lunches. Uh, we you can know talk. what? We, that's that's we a whole other episode. We have other episodes episode. to talk about. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, this was a food episode. It's all about you. And then if we talk about sex and dating, that's my territory. All about your wiener. All about my wiener. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So, guys, thanks it. for listening to Feeling Asian. You guys can tune in. New episodes out every Wednesday. Young Me, where can our listeners find you? Um, on Instagram and Twitter at YMMayor. And you guys can find me, Brian Park, on Instagram and Twitter at It's Brian Park. And Young Me and I, we have an advice column. If you have any questions, any feedback for us, feel free to shoot us an email at feelingasianpodcast at gmail.com. Or slide into Brian's DMs. <laughs> or you can do that too. Slide into your DMs. Well, depending on whether how oh, this relationship goes for you. Yeah, who knows? Well, try, try. Or it. Just, we'll see what happens. Or just write something nice to her because that's always nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, thanks for listening, guys. Tune in every Wednesday. And this is Feeling Asian Podcast. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.